Praise God. It's good to be in God's house. I'm thankful to be here. Thankful to be with the people of God. Uh, Again, I know we say that. We talk about it. But there is something special about the community of God. And the, the family of God. And I'm thankful for that. And if there's one thing. And I know there's not just one thing. But if there's one thing we see in the book of Acts. It's the community of the church. And wow, what, a, what now more than ever, we need each other. We need each other. And we need, we need to be connected to people of light, precious faith. Because we can't stand by ourselves. Amen? We need each other. That was free tonight. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. And again, we're just going to take our time. If you're, new, if you're new to this on Wednesday night, what we're doing is a series through the book of Acts. We are top, talking... Verse by verse, not just topically, we're going through the entire book of Acts. We're taking our time. And so what's we're just trying to get a basis on the history of the church. I've said it before and I repeat it again. I want to be apostolic in the 21st century. I don't want to just have a name on the sign or a designation for a so-called denomination. I want to be biblically apostolic, and Pentecostal, okay? And so to do that, the best place to find out about all of that is to go to the source, go to the book of Acts, the birth and the foundation of the first century church. And so we're talking through that, the book of Acts 2.0. I want to be apostolic in the 21st century, and I want to know what it's going to take, okay? When we ended last week, we ended in chapter 4, and we were talking about there are those last few verses, just in, I want to hit them very quickly. I know I hit them last week, but I want to reiterate them so that you know where we're going because they kind of bleed into chapter 5. The Bible tells us that a man named Joseph, who was by the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, uh, which was being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What was taking place in the church at the end of chapter 4, as, we've ha- as we're having revival and, and people are being saved and lives are being changed, what's taking place is the church has a, uh, a common treasury, if you will. And it was those that had were, were, given, <clears throat> were giving to the church so that those that didn't have anything would be provided for. The widows and the, the orphans would have food. Those that were less fortunate. It was a... It was a unifying effort. The church was more than just a social club. It was, a, it was the first uh, humanitarian organization, if you will, uh, of the first century. So this right here was an opportunity for the church to serve each other's needs. The body was there to serve one another. And I say all that because it's very important what takes place in the transition into chapter 5. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought it to a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered and said unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. 
Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So in the midst, in the environment that the church, the culture of the church at this point where they're trying to be unified, they're, 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 they're having revival, they're helping one another, they're serving one another, they're doing all the things that the church is supposed to be, the devil began to work. Okay? And we don't know exactly the entire story. I don't know how it happened or why it happened. Or I don't know if they just stopped praying. I don't know if they, they... I don't know what was going on. But somewhere along the line, Ananias and Sapphira, these, this couple that Acts 5 begins talking about, got an idea. You know, these guys that are giving everything, they're, they're getting a little bit of accolade in the church. They're getting some respect. They're getting some attention. Did you hear what Barnabas did? Did you hear what, what happened? What Joseph, who, 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 who they call Barnabas, do you, do you, did you hear what happened? He went and he sold a piece of property and he gave all the money to the church. And man, have, have, did you hear about that? We ought to do that. Okay? The difference though is, we're just going to give a portion of it, but we're going to act like we're giving all of it. Okay, Now, before everybody gets nervous and thinks that it is law or it is a must or a commandment that if you sell property, you've got to give it all to, the poor, all to the church or all to the poor, give it all away. That's not what the problem is here. Okay, it's, The problem is not that they kept back some of the, the price of the land. In fact, Peter addresses it. He says... When it was in your when it was yours, was it not in your own power? You have power to do with it whatever you want to do. The problem is, is you allowed your carnal self to get in the way, and you allowed a spirit of hypocrisy to come upon you, and you are acting like something you are not. What happens here is a piece of pride, a little bit of pride, gets in, the, gets in the spirit of these people. And they decide that, hey, I want people to look on us like they're looking on everybody else. I want to be considered the, 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 the grand poobah here in the church. I want to look like I've got something good and going all to have it put together and, and, and I'm somebody. And so I'm going to do what I think I need to do. And yet at the same time, I'm going I'm to let greed hold back. Okay? That's what's happening in the church. Again, it's not that they kept back some of the, the, the money. It's not that they, you know, if they'd have said, you know what? We're going to give a little bit to God. We're going to keep, you know, we, this is our retirement. We're going we're to keep the price of the land, and, and, but we're going to give a tenth of it to God. Okay, that's biblical. We're going to give a little offering. We're going we're gonna to bless, uh, bless the church a little bit. Great, that's awesome. The problem is the, the hypocrisy and the and the greed and the, and the desire, the pride to be somebody in the eyes of man. And, and what happens when Ananias brings his tithe envelope and says, Ooh, we sold this property and here's the check for the amount. Peter looks at him and says, 
You're lying. Now, Peter did not know that. They didn't, nobody called him and said, hey, you need to watch Ananias. He's going to try to pull one over on you. you need, that's not what happened. This is a perfect example of the, of, the, of the gift of the Spirit at work. The gifts of the Spirit at work. And the specific gift here is the word of knowledge. Peter knew what was happening. The Holy Ghost revealed. The Spirit of God revealed what was happening. He knew immediately, wait a minute. There's something more to this. Okay? The Lord revealed it. <clears throat> revealed to him what was taking place. And so, he begins to question Ananias. He said, wait a minute, Bubba. Your, your spirit's not right. This is, this is not going to work. And, and you need to understand that what you're doing is lying to the Holy Ghost. Now, I've always thought it was odd that chapter 5 follows chapter 4. I know some of you are thinking, what's odd about that? That's chronological. Because in chapter 4, when they're talking about great grace being upon the entire church... Now we have great judgment. What happened to grace? What happened to the unmerited favor of God towards man? What was it that went from great grace upon the church to God's great judgment being on the church? God begins to move in a way to show the church that there are some things that He doesn't want in the church. Okay, now we got to we got to be real here. We got to think about this for a little bit. There are <clears throat> there are things that you and I do in living for God. Mistakes that we make. There are mistakes that we're going to make in growing and living for God. Okay, it's going to happen. Especially the more you want to be used by God, the more you want to do something for God. Uh, it's been said. It was said to me today. Even those that don't make any mistakes are those that don't do anything. Okay, You're going to make mistakes. That's why God gives the church great grace. But there are certain spirits that God will not tolerate in the church. Okay, There are certain things that God will not tolerate in the church. And the first thing that God will not tolerate in the church is this idea that I'm somebody in the church. This pride in the church. That dates back to eternity past. It dates back to a time before heaven and earth existed. To when Lucifer, the archangel, said, I'll be as God. He tried to exalt himself. He saw all of his glory and his splendor, which is interesting. He's just a reflection of what he's around. But that's a whole different sermon. He, sees, he thinks it's him causing all that glory and all that splendor. And, and, and it's really just, he's just reflecting what he's being around. And, and, and God says, wait a minute, you can't coexist with me in that state. And so he's kicked out of heaven. In fact, Jesus says in Luke that I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He saw, he was there. The, he, 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 was, he was very aware of how Lucifer was excommunicated from the throne room of heaven. Here's, here's the, the principle here, and it still applies in Acts 5. God does not tolerate division and pride in the church. God will not tolerate division and pride in the church. There is order in the church. There is, God has a method in the church. God has order in the church. And he will not tolerate anybody causing division or being prideful in the church. 
I'm going to tell you all right now, and this has happened more times than I care to admit. The reality is, though, I've seen enough guys when they get proud, when they get prideful. I'm talking great men of God. That they get proud, that's the time they fall. And I'm going to also say this, when I see churches struggling to have revival, when I see churches struggling to, to see a move of God, when I see ch- churches plateau, generally speaking, it's because there's division in the church. See, I've been around long enough. I've seen a couple of things. What does farmer's insurance say? I, I, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. That's the way I, I've gotten to be. Okay? The reality is... God, His presence will remove itself. If you don't believe me, when, when, the, when, when, we, when you see Israel in the wilderness begin to rebel from the, the, the things of God and the order in, the, in God's kingdom and in God's plan, what happens? The progress stops. The progress stops. God does not tolerate division. And so when Ananias and Sapphira come into the church saying... Look at us. We're somebody. We're going to try to be something great. We're going to try to use carnal means and carnal methods to try to elevate ourselves to places of prominence. Guess what God said? Not in my house. Not in my church. Not in my body. The purpose, the mission is too great. God help us today as Calvary Tabernacles, the church of the living God. God help us that we don't become so, so, so worried on our carnal pursuits that we forget that God wants to move and work in our midst. We've got to understand that if we want revival in the 21st century, if we want God to work, then we've got to come together with one accord. We've got to be of the same purpose and we've got to pull together for the kingdom of God. Amen? Ananias and Sapphira were an example. Immediately, God strikes them. Ananias first, and three hours later, as they bury him, three hours later, his wife comes in not knowing what's done. He's asked, she's asked the same questions, the same response, and he, he labels her again as an accomplice of this sin, and she falls straightway. She falls down dead immediately. The Bible says great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Something went through the church. They recognized God means business. God means business. Let me say it like this. Church is not just something we do. God means business. Prayer is not just a ritual we undertake to make us feel better. God means business. The purpose of all of this is more than just having another building, another activity, another thing to do. The reality is God wants to work in our world and he has decided. Again, I don't always understand this. But he has decided to use the, the, the organism or the, the organization called the church to use it. To work his will. And so we've got to make sure that we are right. We've got to make sure that we're ready. Continue reading, the Bible says, By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. Even in the midst of great judgment, even in the midst of, 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 of God's displeasure, really, over the situation. God was not pleased over the situation. The hand of the Lord was there. In the midst of all of that, God still was working. 
I'm going to say something here that I hope nobody gets offended at. and I hope, nobody messes, I hope it doesn't mess with your theology too bad. But I'm convinced that if you and I attempt to stand in the way of God's plan, whether by ignorance or by willful disobedience, God will do whatever needs to be done to remove the obstacle. Now, thank God for His mercy and His grace. But the truth of the matter is, if we disobey and if we continue to walk in in, in continued rebellion against God, God will remove the problem. Sister Ford and I were talking Sunday, we're talking about Pharaoh for a little bit right after church and talking about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I made a statement to her. I said, you know what? It's a scary situation because Pharaoh was to the point that God had to harden his heart to get his attention. And if God will do that to Pharaoh, the reality is it can happen to us. If we don't submit ourselves to God, God's still going to work. He's still going to move. And we're either going to be Peter or we're going to be Ananias and Sapphira. And that's true in the church. God wants to work. There are souls hanging in the balance. And if, if we think that God's going to work around our agendas, we're wrong. If we think God's going to work around what we think He ought to do, the truth of the matter is, that's not how God operates. He is sovereign. He is God all by Himself. He doesn't need us. But He will remove us if we get in the way of God's plan. God's plan still moved in spite of... Of all that was going on. God's will was to save the lost. And that's exactly what was happening in Acts chapter 5. In the midst of all that. God was still adding to the church. Multitudes both men and women. And then look what happens. Verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets. And laid them on beds and couches. That at the least the shadow of Peter passing by. Might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. The response of the church, what was happening in the church, things were taking off to the point that people were bringing every sick person they could find. And they would lay them out along the sides of the alleyways and the streets and on the sidewalks, so to speak. And they had faith that if Peter just passed by, the shadow would fall on them and God would heal them. There was so much faith because they had seen the hand of God thus far. There was so much faith. Now understand, they did not have biblical precedent for this. The closest thing we have to biblical precedent is the hem of Jesus' garment being touched. We don't have precedent for the shadow of Jesus falling on anybody. But there was so much faith that they said, you know what? We believe that God working through Peter can move in such a way that if we can just get close enough to his shadow, God's going to take care of it. And so they'd bring all their sick folk and they, they, would, they would go into the countryside and out of the cities and go all around trying to bring those that were sick and even those that dealt with unclean spirits. And I want you to catch this because I want to make sure it's in your Bible like it's in mine. Acts 5.16 says, And they were healed, every one. I don't want you to miss it. They were healed, Every one. 
if they got them to the church, they were healed. Okay? Sounds good, Pastor. I like it. Let me hold on. Is that what your Bible says? Uh, That's what my Bible says, but is that what your Bible says? Okay. Uh, That's why it's always important to bring your Bible to church because you know if I'm telling the truth or not. If if my Bible and your Bible says that, would you agree with me that the Bible's right and the Bible's true? Okay. With that being said, as the apostolic church of the 21st century, see if I can say this right without getting stoned. We should expect miracles of healing just like Acts 5.16. Okay, I know we're all going to die from something. We're all, it's going to happen, okay? That doesn't mean that God's not a healer. The truth is we're all going to die from something, Okay? However, until I draw my last breath, because I'm not the author of my death, my God is, it is absolutely imperative and it is absolutely apostolic to ask for healing. Amen? And until God says, no, this is it, it's your time, It is absolutely apostolic to expect divine healing. Well, pastor, I don't know why you take time every service to ask us to pray. If we've got sickness or healing, come up to the front. It's because I expect that when you come to the front, God's going to respond. That's apostolic. That's not a ritual. That's That's not something we're just, you know... Cooking up and saying, hey, let's do this because it's fun. No, my friend. It's the purpose of Acts 5. It's the understanding that when God moved in the early, in the first century church, when God worked, he was not selective with his healing. He healed this one and he healed that one and he healed that one and he healed that one. And he healed all of the ones that God, that the people brought to God. God moved and healed. Okay? I say that to say this. And again, I know we're all going to die from something. There's going to come a day. Jordan Grindle, unless the rapture takes place, Jordan Grindle is going to die from something. But until that happens, I'm going to come boldly into the presence of God. When I'm sick, when I don't feel well, I'm going to come to the presence of God and I'm going to say, God, I need healing. I'm going to follow his word and I'm going to expect God to work. Why? Because his word says that's the way it's supposed to happen. So when we come into the house of God, we ought to come, if we're going to be the Acts two, book of Acts 2.0, if we're going to be the apostolic church of the 21st century, we should come with expectation that I don't care how many times you've prayed before, I don't care what the infirmity or the sickness is, we can expect healing to flow because Jesus' word, Jesus' word says he's a healer. COVID or cancer. Common cold or flu, it doesn't matter. God is a healer. It doesn't matter if it's a broken limb or a, 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 or a busted head or a deaf ear or a blind eye. God is a healer and we can expect it to happen. Amen. 
God wants to work in the church. We've just got to have enough faith and believe Him and say, Hey, I'm going to stand upon your word. But I hadn't seen it happen. That's okay. Pray again. Well, glory. Let's keep reading. This is where it's going to get fun. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. I laid their hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison. The high priest arose. These leaders that just a few chapters before told them, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They have heard them continue to preach about Jesus. The high priest and the Sadducees. These are very important uh, segments because you see the high priest was of the sect of the Pharisees. They were strict legalists, if you will. They, were, they lived by the letter of the law and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah because of their interpretation of Scripture. The Sadducees didn't even like the teaching of the resurrection of the dead. They believed once you died, you died. There was no such thing as the resurrection. And so both of these, uh, we'll call them factions, both of these factions in Judaism are really getting unified against the Christians. They're really, they're really on the same page about these followers that proclaim Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. And so they have literally resulted to violent uh, persecution. At this point, they have obtained the leaders. They have, tamed, uh, they have grabbed a hold of the apostles. They have constrained them and they have thrown them in jail. And guess what happens? The Bible says that the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They are put in prison and the angel of the Lord shows up. They are put in persecution. They are meant to be confined, shut up, and shut down. Yet God shows up and says, mm, Not today. We're going to go ahead and see deliverance. We're going to go ahead and see a miracle. The angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and he says, go back to the temple and start teaching. And you tell them about this gospel. You tell them all the things that you know to be true. And that's exactly what they did. Can you imagine the surprise? They go in the next day to bring these cats to, to justice and they go into the prison and the keepers are standing there in front of the door cell, uh, jail cell. And they're just, how you doing, sir? How you doing? Yeah, yeah. And they're talking. And, and they go to open the door and there's nobody there. I've been standing here all night. Nobody's come through. I don't know how they got out. What happened? Can you imagine the, 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 their minds, what they would have thought? What in the world is happening? And, and lo and behold, they go to question it. They go to wonder, uh, go to wondering what happened. And somebody runs into the, the Sanhedrin that day, into the, the court of the elders, and says, I found you guys. They're standing in the temple teaching. They're having Bible study in the middle of the temple. What an incredible moment to see the power of God working. 
Now, again, I understand very clearly that persecution can and more than likely will happen. Don't be surprised when persecution happens. I will go ahead and tell you that we are blessed today. We do not face persecution. Part of it is because of where we live in, in our nation. Uh, part of it is because of geographically where we are. But part of it is because we had elders that paved the way. Okay, it's, there's, when the church was, the church here in Alto, when it was alive and well in the 60s, when Brother Atchison came in the 60s to take the church, the reality is they didn't want Pentecostal, a Pentecostal church here in town. And they literally sent people to run him out of town at times. They tried to starve him out. They tried to convince him not to stay. That's persecution, folks. And now you fast forward 60 years later and now... People ask, where do you pastor? I pastor the Pentecostal church. Oh, that's wonderful. You see, we don't face that kind of persecution, and I'm thankful for it. But I understand that it could happen. It could come back to that. There is a possibility that could arise. But with that being said, and with that understanding, may I point out that even in the midst of persecution, God is still stronger and still greater than any persecution that the enemy wants to throw our way. He is able to work. And that's why I believe it so strongly that, that no matter what happens, God's still going to move. God's still going to work. God's still going to have a plan in spite of any persecution that comes our way. The Bible says that when the captain and the officers brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them up, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them. They began to question some things about these people and begin to ask them. Notice with me, though, I think it's, I think it's interesting to note that as all of this is happening, they're teaching the people that the religious leaders, the leaders of the day, are scared to death to do anything to these crazy apostles because the people have decided there's something to this message. You see, these guys have seen the miracles. They've seen God work. They've already seen the fact that the angel of the Lord let them out of jail. And so they try to, we, we just need to get y'all to come in and for questioning. We've got a few questions for you. God is working on their behalf. And so now we go to verse 28, the high priest saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. He's, he's, the high priest is referencing the former conversation in Acts chapter 4. And now he's saying, hey, we already, we already threatened you about this. We already talked to you about this. And yet all you've done is filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That's our job. To fill Jerusalem with the doctrine. Every household, every neighborhood, every city street, everybody needs to know who Jesus is. Amen. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. <clears throat> now, let me go ahead and say some things here. Peter is not being rebellious. He's not. Peter is not saying, You and I... Um, we don't need to respect or listen to authority. Okay, That's not what Peter is saying. In fact, if you keep studying, you'll find out that, that Peter actually will write letters to the church and talk about civil authority and different things like that. Okay, We're not, we're not rogue Christians tonight. Okay, 
And in fact, all of us need to be submitted to somebody. There's order. There's submission. Uh, one verse in your Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. We all need to be. So, so it's not this, bless God, you can't tell me anything. What he's saying is, there is a level or there is some things that we know. And what you're telling me to do is go contrary to the word of God that we know. And so we're going to obey the word of God other, over men. I say that to say this. If a man who proclaims to be a man of God goes contrary to the word of God, he's not a man of God. Amen. Again, that's why it's important that we study to show ourselves approved unto God. We need to be studying the word of God. We need to know it for ourselves. We've got to know the word of God. Okay. We've got to make sure that we're in line with the word of God. Because a man of God will always teach in line and preach in line with the word of God. When he deviates from God's word, I don't care how, how eloquent he may sound. If he deviates from God's word, he's out of order. There are three things that must agree. The Word of God, the man of God, and the Spirit of God. They must agree. Okay, And so when those agree, when everything's in order, yes, we must be submitted. We must, we must work together. However, when man steps out of the Word of God, according to Peter, Peter said it's all right. We ought to obey God rather than man. Okay? That's important because we live in a society, I don't know if y'all realize it, but there's a lot of things happening in our world today that deal with mandates and, and laws that can infringe. Now, thank God we live in Texas, but we've got, I've got friends in, in California that they had a choice. They could, either, they could either obey the law or they could have church. That was the law in, in, in America. I know that's, we don't know how much uh, California is a part of the United States, but you know what I mean. The reality is that happened on supposedly free soil. And you and I have to draw a line and say, wait a minute, there are some things, there are some things worth fighting for. Again, I'm not, I'm not for revolting or anything like that. That's, in fact, the Bible talks about that kind of stuff. But I think we do have to say, wait a minute, what does the word of God say? Amen. Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. And then he says this, he begins to preach. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Again, what is Peter preaching? Peter is talking to the religious leaders, the Orthodox Jews. And he's saying, the God of the Old Testament, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God that you and I proclaim to worship. Guess what? He sent the Messiah. Again, this is not a dualistic uh, uh, Godhead. This is not two gods in a, God, in, a, in a triune or even a dual Godhead. This is the, uh, the idea he's trying to communicate to these Orthodox Jews is the God of our fathers who we've waited for, who we want to see come and who's going to save us, he's come. He robed himself in flesh. You thought he was just a carpenter, but he's really the Messiah. You thought he was just another religious reformer, but in reality, he's the savior of humanity. And so God is trying, or Peter's trying to teach them that and tell this. And he says, we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, the Bible says, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. 
It's amazing. It's almost the same wording, the verbiage here. Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Go to Acts 6, and they're cut to the heart, and they're saying, let's kill them. The result of, 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 the result of Peter's sermon was technically the same. The response was what differed. God help us that we don't respond incorrectly to the word of God when it's preached. The Bible then says that there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, the doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. This incredible man who at this time was a leading scholar and authority on Jewish law and Jewish custom, a religious leader of the day, the same man, may I add, at whose feet Paul, the apostle, sat and got his education. This man would stand up and say, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For, for before these days rose up Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. And this man rose up, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing. And drew away much people after him. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or if this work be of men, it will come to naught. This incredible leading authority of Jewish history and Jewish theology looks at the Sanhedrin that day and says, May I remind you that we've seen stuff like this before. And the reality is we've seen these guys who thought they were something special and even claimed to be the Messiah. At the end of the day, they were not the Messiah. They couldn't do anything. In fact, all they did was get themselves killed and their followers destroyed. So if this be of men, quit trying to fight it. It will come to naught. In other words, the fruit will show evidence of what the tree is really bearing. Okay? But notice what he says in verse 39. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Gamaliel, I don't know what if, I, I don't know if it was just the hand of the Lord on Gamaliel. I don't know what it was. I don't know if he saw something. Some commentators I've read even say that Gamaliel would go on to be one of the most um, most intolerant of the Christians. He would be one of those that after this moment would completely almost lose his mind against the Christians. That it would become such a, he would have such a hatred for this sect of, of Judaism that, that he would do everything in his power to destroy it. But at this moment, at this moment, he talks reasonably and he says, you know what, if this is of men, it will come to naught. But if it's of God, we better get on board because there's nothing we can do about it. Amen. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They called them back. They said, all right, Camelio's got a point. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them a public beating, and we're, we're going to slap them on the wrist, literally, and we're going to send them on their way. And we're going to tell them, don't you preach anymore. And gee, we just told you last time, but don't you talk about Jesus anymore. We're, we mean it. We'll, we'll, we'll beat the fire out of you. That's what happened. 
And notice the response of the church. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Wait, 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 what? They just beat you. That's okay. We'll rejoice. For they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I can't help but think that Peter looked over at James and John and said, Boys, we're done running. I can't help but think that Matthew looked over maybe at, 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 uh, at, uh, Lord have mercy. Matthew may have looked over at, at Judas, one of the other disciples, or, or, or one of the, maybe he looked over at, at, at Thaddeus, and he said, you know what? We forsook him in the garden, but we're not running anymore. Amen. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, these apostles got together and said, you know what? He was beaten for us. We'll be, we'll be beaten for him now. They left their beating rejoicing. They were excited because they had suffered shame for his name. And the Bible says that daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. If anything, the beating just fanned the flames. You mentioned it a few weeks ago in the adult Sunday school class. I've actually read the book a couple of times now. It's actually become one of my favorites. It's a book entitled The Insanity of God by a guy named Nick Ripkin. It's technically not his name, but he writes under a, 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 a false name so that he can protect the identity of the people that he writes about. The book Insanity of God, if you're, even if you're not a reader, I need you to, uh, I need you to go buy it because it's an incredible book. It really is an incredible book. But he talks about these believers in countries that don't have freedom to worship God. And he talks specifically about the, the underground church in China. And I've, to, I've, I've heard some of our missionary stories, even the UPCI missionaries. It's, it's unbelievable. Guys, when they have church, you know, we come in here and, and, and you may not be this way, but I, the louder the church service, the better I like it. Okay, that's just the way I am. I like it. I like it ripping and snorting and kicking holes in a sheetrock, hanging from the chandeliers. And, you know, that's just the way I like Pentecostal church, okay? It's just, that's just the way I am. It's probably because I'm 30, but that's okay. And, and I just, I like, I don't like dead church. But they come to church, and they go down, and they have their secret compartments, and they have their basements, and they, have every, and they go to church, and they all sit together, and they, they whisper. And they tell, talk about Jesus, and they, they, they sing in a whisper. And, and, and even when they begin to pray, they pray in a whisper. And you'll have the Holy Ghost start moving through their basement. People start getting the Holy Ghost, and they'll speak in tongues in a whisper. Okay? And their leaders, and in fact, uh, Dr. Ripkin talks about this in his book, The Insanity of God. He talks about that they are, having, they are such an underground work that even if something, uh, you know, that they really don't even trust a guy, they don't really listen to a preacher until he's been in jail. Yeah, yeah we, we, we want them to have doctorate degrees in theology and masters of divinity and all those things. Their doctorate degrees are spent behind bars. And you can't trust that one because, well, he hadn't served any jail time. And you can't listen to what she says about the Bible. She hadn't been persecuted yet. That's their thought process. Again, we, we're blessed, church. We're so blessed. And this is exactly the thought process that was going on at the end of Acts chapter 5. They continued to teach and preach about Jesus because they said, you know what? We've been beaten now for his name. We've got too much invested to stop now. 
Now, guys, again, we are blessed. We are highly favored. We, we've got so many freedoms, and so we're, I'm so thankful for that. And God forbid that end anytime soon. I'm thankful for where we are, and I'm, I'm thankful for the nation that we live in. But the reality is, if people like Acts chapter 5 can say, you know what, I'm, th- I'm worthy to suffer. I've been counted worthy to suffer for His name. Shouldn't we be able to live and prosper for His name? I want to be apostolic. Now, I'll be honest. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be beaten. I'd really like it if I didn't get crucified upside down like Peter did or stoned or boiled alive like the Apostle John did or or beheaded like the Apostle Paul. I'm okay if that doesn't happen. Okay, not going to hurt my feelings at all. But with that being said, that's no excuse for me to sit on the sidelines and just patty cake for Jesus every Sunday. No, let's be the apostolic church of the 21st century. Let's be the book of Acts church. Yeah, we, I hope we don't have to go through the persecution, but let's, let's at least say, you know what? If they can do it, let's teach and preach. Let's go house to house. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's teach daily in the temple. Let's reach for souls together. Let's believe for the mirac- miraculous. Let's believe for God to work in our services. Let's believe for healing signs and wonders. I want to see it happen. I want to be the, the apostolic church of the 21st century. Amen. Anybody else want that? Yeah. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand with me tonight? Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and love the Lord tonight. We love you, Jesus. Thank you.